You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This little advert is for shapers only. This is not a paid ad. I'm just mentioning it because I think a lot of you would actually want this and probably don't know it exists. Dane Hance of Vulcan Surfboards has designed and built a couple of shaping tools. They are very smartly engineered and very well built. There's a Shape Master sanding block, which allows perfectly uniform concaves and contours. The Radius Profile Rail Tool allows for perfectly uniform rails. And then the kind of most ingenious little contraption is the UL1. And it's a super practical tool that just guides perfect pin lines, lap cuts, tape lines, reference marks. Uh, Really, really rad little tool. Anyways, I've linked to all of these in the show notes for quick access, or you can find them on surfvulcan.com slash shop. Happy shaping. And then have you gotten your slow tide gear yet? Nothing but rave response from this partnership. Beach towels, bath towels, beach blankets, yoga towels, changing ponchos. Slow tide makes luxurious products beautifully designed and responsibly manufactured through sustainable sourced cottons, polyester made from recycled plastic bottles. I've been using and even gifting slow tide towels for a year prior to partnering with them for this podcast. So I'm a huge fan and just generally a believer in little everyday luxuries. Slowtide.co is their website. Use promo code podcast to support this show and then save yourself 10%. Free shipping on orders over $50 and a free tote on orders over $100. Slowtide.co, promo code podcast. different ways I've been married for like 57 years right and, I, and the whole thing the whole, I could surf really good but I was more important more interested in having a family you know because a lot of surfers give up give up a lot to become a surfer they, they don't have a family life and where the family life for me was the most important thing because what I, I was born during the war in Holland and we came here in 1951 and my parents were completely, I don't know what happened to them in the war. I, there was no communication, no, sort of really hard to get on with. That's why I got sent to boarding school. My parents separated in the first year. The father was, I don't know, he, he was, I don't know if he was an age, secret agent or what. He wouldn't talk about anything. Did you ever try to ask him? Yeah, just wouldn't, just clammed up all the time. Yeah. It's tragic. Yeah, oh yeah, unbelievable, right? Yeah. And so, you just don't know, you know, and I don't want—I didn't want to force the issue or anything, you know. So, I think when you're a kid, you internalize some of that stuff, and you think that it's a reflection of you or whatever, or that they're just not a good person. And when you get older and you understand the context of yeah. world history yeah. and the wars that were happening, yeah. I think it gives you a little bit more sympathy yeah. towards their plight. Yeah, I—I I, I never, because I was dyslexic, I was just in my own world. 
right? Completely. What, Completely. How does the dyslexia manifest for you? Because when I hear dyslexic, I just think that people mix up words in a no. sentence, you know? No, they, well, you're going, you're traveling too fast. Your brain is. Yep. That's, that's the thing. And you're not, you, because you're seeing the big picture all the time, the person that explained to me said, if you look at the world, most good artists are all dyslexic. Right? And they're, and they're trying to, at school I had trouble because you, know, you, you couldn't write or spell and understand things. I was good at woodwork, metalwork, maths, and economics. But English, hopeless, completely. They, you just, just, and they didn't know about dyslexia. And they used to say to you, are you stupid or you're lazy or things like that. Right. right? And then in the last year at, in the boarding house I was living in, the head, the housemaster picked up, there was about three or four of us, we all hung together. But we didn't know we were dyslexic, we knew we were different, or something else was going on in our lives, right? And he took us, once a week he'd take us into his quarters and play classical music to us. And they calmed us all down, it was really interesting what happened. I didn't. I, I always knew something was happening. Have you, up until this day, been diagnosed, or yeah, is it yeah, self-diagnosed? Yeah, yeah. The, my wife's got major neuron disease, right? And she's got one of the world leaders in the subject. He's also the head of the Mike, Michael Fox Institute for Parkinson's. Oh, okay. right? And he one day said to me, what's going on in your world? And I said, I think I'm dyslexic. He said, I know you are. And then he explained everything to me hmm. about it. And, he, and then he put me onto a guy, Rick Stein's a famous chef, and his brother is at Oxford University, and he's the head of, he knows more about dyslexia than anyone, and they're trying to find a system where they can identify it in young kids so they don't go through school thinking they're stupid. Right. Right, they can't read or, so they're trying to identify it really early, and they're not sure how they can do it or, you know. It's just interesting, and, and having known now, I know that what's going on in my world, <laughs> I all the time speak to myself, telling me to slow down. And I notice more and more that when I'm sending emails, I'm t three words ahead thinking that I'm typing, yeah. right? And it's just, just that, that's just the speed you're traveling at. And you see everything really clearly. And that's, I, I, I as a kid, I was really good at rugby league. Unbelievably good. But I could, because I could see everything going on all the time. So, and I played in a position where I had the ball in my hands more than anyone else so I could make breaks or set people up or anything like that. And I did play that till I was about 18 and then I just went, nah. And the people around it, amateur, amateur sports people that run things, were annoying me because they, you know, I just went, nah. And then I just went surfing more. Born in 1944 in The Hague, Netherlands, Dick Van Stralen became best known for the sleek single fin boards he made throughout the 70s, designed for the high-speed point breaks of Burley Heads and Kira. He made boards for everyone from Wayne Bartholomew, Peter Townsend, Michael Ho, and Dave Rostovich during the second half of his career. 
His family moved from the Netherlands to the Sydney suburb of Avalon in 1951, and then he began shaping boards shortly thereafter in 1956. Nineteen fifty-six is when Greg Knoll and Tom Zam came to Australia for the Olympic Games, and it's basically it kicked off. Uh, yeah, it was surfing before then, but it kicked off a whole new thing, a whole different everything, you know. And they they came out here and did exhibition surfing. One at Torquay for the Olympic Games, and then they did one at Avalon where I lived. And then they did one at Cronulla, and it was just interesting, you know. They had balsa boards, but the thing that surprised me more than anything was Greg Knoll's paddleboard. That, that would, for me, as, as a 12-year-old, 10-year-old, I just looked at it and went, unbelievable. What about it? Was well, amazing. we still had plywood ones, you know, what they called toothpicks. And this was hollow, fiberglass, steering system, knee wells. I just looked at it unbelievable, you know. And it stuck with me for a long time, you know, how just looking at the comparison. I mean, the surfing, I, I understood because we were already seeing people come back with balsa boards, right, and everything like that where the, the, I'm really attracted to ocean, right? Waterman, everything. It was a really good example. And then in 1988, I think, Mick the Better asked me to make some boards for him for Molokai. Oh, okay. Right, and that, I just jumped at it. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it was just like a whole rekindle, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it was good. It was a good, interesting exercise just to be dealing with people that are in the ocean all the time. And they're all still riding waves. They're riding swells rather than waves, you mm. know? So it was really interesting. That, that's... So 1956, though, I mean, it's before the advent of polyurethane foam yep. for foam for yep. surfboard production. Yep. Anyways. Yeah, well, my first surfboard in '56 was out of EPS. EPS is the oldest foam in the world. Really? EPS has always been around, and it was vacuum form between two sheets of ply. Are you kidding? No. And how they did it was the bottom piece was the plan shape, and the top piece was the deck. So when they glued it together, it was a down railer because the, the, yeah. the, you know the foam that's sticking out there just curved it onto the bottom. Sure. And it, and first of all, it didn't have enough rocker in it, so we put cut marks in it every six inches and and bent it. <laughs> and Funny. it was unbelievable. Funny. Yeah. Really. So what good. was that board? How big was it? Nine foot. Nine foot. Okay. Yeah, nine foot. It was just, you know, it was, and it was shaped more like the early balsa boards when they were coming out. Yeah, they had little round pods and they were nosy. They were like trackers, early balsa boards. Mm. And then they had pig ones where they were more, had more curve in the arse, you know, because of the way they could determine, everything like that. Yeah. If you were to chart a timeline of surfboard manufacturing history, an inception point could be placed at 1958. Board builders had been experimenting with polyurethane foam since the 40s, but in the late 50s, Gordon Clark and Hobie Alter developed the foam sufficiently that Hobie switched out his entire surfboard production from balsa wood over to polyurethane foam. It would become the standard core material for surfboard manufacturers worldwide that endures to this day. EPS foam resurged into popularity when Clark closed his business in 2005. That flashpoint has created a perception in the market that EPS is a more modern surfboard core material. But in reality, it's been used for as long as, if not longer than polyurethane. And vacuum bagging it has been around just as long. Well, the the guy who did it was a, a fiberglass engineer. For aerospace or something? No, just, just for his own little business. He was making molds and doing all sorts okay. of fiberglassing, you know, because okay. that's what, what he learned. And it was just, it's interesting. Like, 
I've been using EPS surfboards about since 1985, 80, right? Okay. Again, back into EPS. It's interesting where where it's going, and a lot of people don't realise there's air in EPS. Right. Right. They don't realise that, and it's interesting because you've got all these different weights. And I played with the air a lot, right? So all my EPS boards that I make all got hard edges, really hard, right? Because you're on top of the water so much, you use air. So you're using edge a lot more, mm -hmm. and it's just interesting how they work. People have taken to it. You know, I don't know where it's going to go because extrude. They're using an EPS now called, see there's two EPSs, they're expanded and extruded, but okay. it's not good. Oh really, why no. not? Because it's under pressure, it rips away from itself. It's good, see they've made it for other things, not for surfboards, they've made it for like things for in houses and things, you know. For, right, construction material. Yeah, yeah. Like filler basically. Yeah, yeah, well they put it inside walls right. and it's also soundproofing. Okay. Right, and and it rips away and, and a lot of it's had, a lot of people again, I used it when I first met Dave, I used it, we did all these boards that I make him, are EPS, and all the whole way along, I just made them EPS. We used, we got given some extruded, and it was, it was interesting, but it ripped away from itself because it's under tension, and everyone thought, everyone still thinks it's delaminating, but when you drilled in to have a look, you can see the foam was still stuck to the glass, but there was, so the foam was ripping away from itself under tension when you were, right? And the, I just think the interesting part, it's got air in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the interesting thing is, when you put them on a scale, they're about as heavy as, they've got a bit of weight. As soon as you pick them up, they feel light because it's got air in it. Right? right. And I say to people, you get a balloon and with no air in it, and it feels heavy. As soon as you put air in it, there's no weight. You know? That's, that's I just like, I've been, I've been writing, myself I've been writing styrofoam for about 20 years. Okay. I enjoy what it does. It's hydrophobic, which means it's afraid of water. And, and I took all that information we had into when I did boards for Molokai. We did concaves, mm -hmm. right? Which a lot of people... Everyone concaves else, in the deck? In the bottom. Oh, in the bottom. Yeah, okay. because it wants to rise. It wants to... Okay. Balsa and styrofoam are, the same, uh, are in the same sort of thing. They've both got air in them, mm -hmm. right? They make gliders out of both of them, right? It's just... That's interesting. I, I make balsa boards as well at the moment because I think... It's part of our history of surfing balsa, and I, and I just like making balsa boards. They're yeah. beautiful, they're nice to ride. Uh, in the early days, the reason I, I've got one, and I ride it at the pass occasionally when it's on shore, because the pass holds it holds its shape when it's on shore, and a balsa board just goes fantastic because it just cuts through chop. You don't feel anything in the mm. chop, just glides. And I, I got the idea from an early Paul Witzig movie when Phil Edwards came out here. Phil Edwards had a balsa board and he surfed the pass when it was on shore. And I thought, okay, hey, look at this, it's just ripping and it's on shore, you know? And so I went, okay, balsa boards are good for a lot of things. Surfing was experiencing growth around the world simultaneously. And there was an increasing need for board builders everywhere. Dick's parents weren't exactly sure how to process his interest and direct his energy. Because I'm dyslexic and my parents didn't really know what was going on in my world, they sent me to boarding school. So in 1957, four years was taken out of my life, basically. Where was boarding school? In Sydney. Oh, okay. In Sydney, went to boarding school in Sydney. Okay. But it just, you didn't get a chance to surf for four years, you know. You, right. you, you had holidays, but you, you couldn't get into it. And then in 62, I, I started working again, started shaping surfboards, left boarding, boarding school. and. It was just, it was good, but there still wasn't enough money to be made. Yet. Right. Right. Who, um, 
how much awareness did you have of what was going on in California with board builders? All the time. That's that's been my Hawaii and and California has been the lead point. Okay. Right. It's and been, what was your exposure? Was it strictly through Surfer magazines? Surfer magazines. Okay. Right. I got ma I married in '65, and I couldn't make enough money, so I got a job with Qantas to fly Stuart. And I flew for two years, Sydney, Hawaii, San Francisco. Every third, every third week. That's so a good I picked route. up friends in Hawaii and I met a, a guy in San Francisco called Dickie Keating. Okay. And he was the first guy from that area, he lived at Pedro Point, to be invited into the Duke contest. Oh, wow. Right? From that area. Okay. And, and just, so when I went to I'd hang out with him, he was a salmon fisherman. And yeah, just interesting, you know, and they were into, you look at, they, they were into short, really short boards. It was just, it was explosions happening everywhere in the world. Yeah. And then the next big influence was when the Stubbies was on, mm -hmm. right? When all the Hawaiians came in and all, all the Hawaiians hung, when they were here, they just, it was, they, they were all over my factory all the time. And they finished up making boards for a lot of them okay. because they were interested in what I was doing. And, you know, you, a good friend of mine, Russell Hughes, you heard of him? Yeah. Right. He every time he went overseas, he'd bring he'd come and see me with and he'd bring back boards all the time. He showed me the first board was Shannon Diffendurfer. Oh yeah. Right. It was, it was phenomenal. And then the next time he showed me a Lopez and a Brewer when the when the down rails started happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And he just looked say, look at these, look at these, and we we're just really good friends. Van Stralen's dyslexia has the power to either impede or inform his work, dependent upon the people around him and the systems that they put into place to bolster his acute mindset. Obviously, not being able to identify dyslexia in your youth can yeah. come with its own problems. But I feel also now, kind of in the modern society, things are over Diagnose, yep. and I guess overdiagnosing it isn't the problem. But then medicating, assigning yep. medication to yep. something oh, yeah. if it's a misdiagnosis, uh, yeah, yeah. is a problem too. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the same as surfing. I think we overanalyze everything completely. Really, I I, I I don't understand where people say, "Oh, I think the board could be sixteen inch narrower." And I'm going, "Hang on here, you're overanalyzing it." See, I, almost when I shape surfboards, I only put the length. Oh, really? You yeah. don't put the dimensions? No. Really? Yeah. I'm glad that you're saying this because people, even Jake, he was going to loan me some boards yeah. for the Gold Coast. And he's like, what volume do you ride? And I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. And then he goes, well, what, what size? And I'm like, I don't know, six, one short boards is what I, what dimensions? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because the volume thing's a wank. Is it's it? just a readout on a computer. And, and I say to people, have you put that in a displacement tank? And they say, what do you mean? I said, well, you can only tell volume when you put it in a displacement tank. How much water this place is, that's your volume. Yeah. And this is a readout. You know? It's just it it just gets more and more interesting as you go along. A couple of years ago me and Rasta had a talk, they had a surfboard symposium, right? And I talked about it and Dave knows what's going on in my world. I get I can talk in front of a few people, but when I'm in a crowd I get nervous because I don't know where to find the words, right? And he knows what goes on, so he helps me. And the, and Mike Mark Price was there. Right, he's the From head of Firewire. Yeah. yeah. And he sent me an email the next day because I talked about it. I said we've got to be careful here. We're losing our creativity in our surf because everything's just being made by a computer, and we've got no creativity. There's nothing, no from over here or over there. You know, wild things happening. 
And he sent me an email the next day. I, he said, thank you very much. And said, your talk was fantastic. I, I agreed with where you were going. Okay. All right. I went, I said, thank you very much. Okay. Well, so I agree with you. Um, the reason why I don't keep track of dimensions on my surfboards or yeah. volume is because I don't want to restrict the exploration. I don't want to think that I know yeah. what I know. Like, I don't want to communicate with a shaper and be like, hey, build me this exact volume and dimension. Yeah. Because the reality is I want to leave room for magic to happen. Yeah. I want to leave room for something, what I don't know, yeah. to be taught to me. Yeah. But I also recognize that understanding those, the kind of formula of it allows you to then devote more time and attention towards refining a design or something like that. You know, If you can kind of knock out the basics, then you can focus your time on either refining the design or maybe it's just communicating with the customer more it's, thoroughly. Yeah. But you can't refine it because it's something that happens at the moment. That, like, even guys that are getting computer boards, they get 10. Yeah. And they're supposed to be all the same. Right. And I, I, I don't know, I understand how they can tell because you can't surf the whole 10 in one day. Right. And the next day you're thinking different because you might, you're changing. Everything, hey, this everything's is, different. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. This is the whole thing I, me and Dave talk about a lot. Like, he says, oh, the board's been going really good and then it doesn't good. And he says, it's not the board. It's how you think. Something's gone on in your life to change the way you think about things. Yeah. And I talked to him saying, when I first met him when he was 14, 16 years old, phenomenal surfer, um, far better than he is now. That's why you say to him. He said, why? I said, well, you, you accepted everything and you just wrote it for what it was. But as you're going along and you get older, your focus starts narrowing and you've got to be really careful that you, you know, you're locking into one thing where there's all these other things. It's like I say to a lot of kids, do you, they talk about, oh, I can only write this. And I said, do you only listen to one album? I said, what do you mean? I said, well, that surfing's just like music. It, it's an instrument. You can play all these different tunes with it, right? And they, 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 they just, they're too manipulated. That's, a, that's how I look at it. Our, the marketing is giant, you know, they're manipulated. They don't think about things. And it, with, with mobile phones, it's even got worse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think a couple of thoughts. It is the marketing, but it's also um, this kind of current generation and society it's more selfish than it ever was. Oh, and yeah. individuals think that they're the experts. Everybody's got all this ego. And so then how could somebody ever teach you something about surfing? If you're the guy who knows everything and you're the king of your own world, yeah. then you know what's best for you. Yeah. And that ego is gonna get in the way of everything. Yeah. So back to what you're saying, being open, like Rasta when he was 14, yeah. that's where you're gonna kind of, um, absorb the most information oh, yeah. and have the most data to work yeah. with and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting because just lately, I've got on the, I, I've started an Instagram site, right? Yeah. And it works all mad. Before then, no one could find you know, who I was. And someone, a marketing person asked me why. And I said, well, I know if people can find me, they want the board. I'm not attracting people who think I, I'm someone special. I'm mm -hmm. catching people who actually want one of my surfboards. They seek you out. Yeah, they seek me out, right? Yeah. And and she, the marketing person, that's very interesting how you're doing that. So yeah, and then when I got on the Instagram, a lot of people, the most people have been finding me, found me now. And it's interesting, a lot of young kids ring me up, that are good surfers, and say they're completely confused about surfing and they don't know where it's going and they're losing their enthusiasm for it because everything is the same. 
right? Everything is just the same. And they want to break away. I just did a board for a kid from Torquay called Adam Robinson. Yeah. Right? He's an amazing surfer. Yeah, he rang me up, said, I'm, you know, he's trying to find me. And then finally, someone said, I heard of him. And I said, no, I haven't heard of him. And they said, I'll give you a card. He rang me up. And then he just talked about it. And I made, sent him a board last week, just made him something completely EPS, carbon bottom, hard edges. And I, I said, how, how'd it go? He said, it sings a beautiful song. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, right? Is it a thruster, like a shortboard thruster? Yeah. Okay. Just 510. Okay. Yeah, EPS. Okay. Right? I, I, I try to make a let people feel the difference because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't EPS and all that. But a lot of people don't know how to shape it because EPS needs edges. You can't make like modern boards with it because you've, it, cause it's on top of the water and you go into white water, it goes sideways. Yeah. Right? So you've got you to think about what the material is and, and handle it completely different. Right. Um, do you still build boards for Rasta? No. Occasionally, I just don't have the time. Okay. I, right, I don't have the money. Uh, all those sorts of things, and I'm a carer. And Dave's, you know, he's out there doing his own thing. And then occasionally, I'll just make one and I'll drop it off, and he surfs it. And he likes them. It's just, I'm just doing different things. So I shape from nine foot boards to four foot two. Yeah. You know, just everything. I just enjoy because I, I approach shaping surfboards more like. A, doing a painting or art. Yeah, I can tell. Right? It's just, it's, it's a sculpture, you know. You, you get in there and you just sculpt the blank, you know. At the height of Van Stralen's professional success, he had an abrupt career change when his surfboard factory burned to the ground. My father had a cake shop in, in, he moved up here to be closer to the grandkids, and he had a cake shop in Miami, and the guy working for him, uh, my father died all of a sudden, you know, and then I ran the cake shop for a little while, and the guy came up to me and said, your father owes me rent. I said, no, owes me a wage. No, I said, no, you're, you're casual, right? Then he took me to court, lost the court case. He did or you did? He did. He lost it. Oh, yeah. The, you know, he he had just, no case. No, no case whatsoever, and then the, I tried to renew the lease, but and. He, his friend owned the place and they wouldn't renew the lease, so I had to sell everything. He got some bodgy guy to buy everything, never paid for it. You know, just all that. And I just, I, because the fire was started outside in the bin, not, didn't, wasn't inside, it was like out in the rubbish bin and went slept through the window. Oh, okay. Right? So what happened? Was it in the middle of the night or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So nobody was in danger of being harmed he was no. just it was retribution yeah yes that's how i look at it and then people say what are you doing i said you can, you know you have to let everything go i said you can, you can you can wreck yourself by by feeling nasty or whatever you just let it go it's something that happened you can't change you know whatever happened yesterday you can't change so move on how did you feel that at the time though i mean clearly it just it was good because we just changed the direction i i do I you really feel that okay about it? Yeah, at the yeah. Time? I, mean, yeah I, I don't have animosity about anything. Really? Yeah. It's that's just amazing. life. You know, that's me and my wife, we talk about what's happening to her, and I struggle more with that because we're so close, and then watching what's going on in her life and what's, how she behaves and things and what goes on and everything. It's, it's interesting, but you know, people say, I just say, I don't know. We've been together 57 years. We've had a fantastic life. This is going to happen to everyone. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. You've got to, you've got to, mentally you've got to stay alert. Because I have this thing, everything is the way you think it is, right? As soon as you change your thinking, everything changes. It relates exactly to what you were saying with um, surfboards, with yeah. Dave Rostovich riding boards and yeah. just, if you're having a bad day, yeah. you're not gonna nah. have and the experience. It's the same with when I was doing racing boards. People, they go good for six months and they were saying, the, oh, the board's no good. I said, no, the board's fantastic. It's how you think about things. It's yeah. Something's gone in your world to change, turn around how you're thinking about things. Yeah. Right, and it's it's really important. Hmm. Uh, I have a lot. Got it's easier a re- said than done. Oh, I mean, I mean, I think that a lot of people have this kind of have predispositions in their life from yeah. maybe it's childhood trauma, maybe it's a chemical imbalance yeah. in them, or diet related, or they didn't listen to classical music or whatever yeah. it is, and so they go into a situation and they can't maintain that clarity. They yeah. automatically react yeah. with anger or something. Yeah. That. Fifteen years ago, we bought these tapes that are called the the sounds called Holsync. Okay. Right. Very interesting, and it's a vibration. Holsync. Hol Holsync. Holsync. And they're meditation tapes. You lay down, put your earphones on, and you can feel it. You can feel your body vibrating. Right. Okay. Uh, after After you're go, done. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's just my glass. Okay. After it's done, you wake up, and it's just like you. Know, like uh, everything's gone. Really? Yeah. Uh, what exactly do you do? Is it like an hour long, like a massage? Half you hour. sit back, Half okay. hour. turn it on, 30 yeah. minutes, yeah. lay down. Meditation. Okay. So just a form of meditation. And then I listen to a lot of, lot of ambient music, right? Then just in the last couple of weeks, I learned that most big sports clubs in the world, when they're training, play music loud. And it changes something with the system they're talking about. It changes your system, the molecular structure of your body. That's what they're talking about all the time. And I got some friends that are clinical psychologists, and they talk about a lot of that music and everything. Because I question myself a lot of times when I see surf contests, what the guys are listening to, right? And it's really important because you could be listening to something negative, you know, or you listen to songs where where sound is completely different. Yeah. You're not listening to words or, you know, you listen to sound, sound, and it's all vibrating and changing how everything goes. Everything I listen to is ambient, really, these days. At lunchtime here, I'll sit from a, I've got on my iPad, I've got all this different, listen, just listen to some, and it's really good. It relaxes you and it's, and you can focus differently. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInJobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. After the surfboard factory burned down, he took some time away from board building, got into the garment making business with his wife, and then a young local surfer named Dave Rostovich called him back into making surfboards. He was, as a nipper, it was unbelievable. He was going to be the next Trevor Handy. Yeah. All right? Really good waterman. Unbelievable. Unbelievable swimmer, everything. All right? Got on really... And then I met him. Someone said, oh, have you heard of Dave Rastovich? And I said, yeah. And he said, he was after a board. He wants to meet you. So when me and my wife were walking on the beach one day, I said, that's him surfing there. And when he came out of the water, he didn't have a clue who I was. Oh, right. <laughs> so I was just talking to him. That's a good board. And I said, that's EPS? Yeah. I said, look at me. Who are these people? And I, then I just said, oh... Hi, I believe you want some surfboards. My name's Dick Fanstral, and he went, yep. And then next day, he was at my factory with his father. Got on really well with his father. Uh, and it was just a change, whole change for him. Perhaps due to a desire to make order out of his dyslexia, or perhaps the dyslexia predisposed Van Stralen to an open perspective on altered states. Timothy Leary was a clinical psychologist at Harvard University studying LSD and psilocybin, which at the time were still legal in the U.S. This was 1960, 61, 62. Leary believed that LSD had therapeutic benefit in psychiatry, and he used it himself for what he reported as personal development, mind expansion, and exploring personal truth. He became connected to the surf world by referencing surfers in his lectures as beings who live in the moment through the act of riding waves. He explained that all matter travels in waves, light waves, sound waves, and that surfers have figured out how to ride waves and therefore have mastered how to live in the moment, which is the key to contentment. Steve Pesman conducted an interview with Leary about his philosophy and then published an article entitled The Evolutionary Surfer in the January 1978 issue of Surfer Magazine. I'm not sure if Van Stralen was an actual participant in Leary's Harvard studies in the early 60s or just an informal participant with Leary himself or perhaps just standing in solidarity in Ocean Away, but he found benefit in Leary's teachings. You see it everywhere. You see patterns that are the same and reoccurring. Like, I was part of the Timothy Leary experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the, way back in the early days. Yeah. And, and, and we had guides, you know, the guide, we had a guide. When our very first one, we had a guide with us. And he said, this is what's going to happen to you, everything, right? And so he went through it, did the whole thing. And the patterns you see are the same as the patterns of the Peruvians. You know, everywhere in the ancient world, you look at all the patterns they were making, 
they're all there in the world. There's just they're just patterns you see every day in life, you know, yeah. how energy works and everything like that. Yeah. You know, and it's just was it really interesting. And then we did that, and then four weeks later we fasted for seven days. We went through exactly the same experience as the L S D. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Right? Because that, that all that is this is like thergic acid, it's it's just stomach acid. Do you think that the fasting you would have had that experience fasting had you not already had the LSD experience? Well, he was just showing you the, what happened. What, I know, but I, I hear people talk about LSD and that it opens a dimension oh, that you can then access later by yeah. doing other things like fasting. Yeah. But I'm wondering if you would have been able to access that dimension without having already... Yeah, you would have, because you, you would have got... Yeah, that's what he said, right? Okay. And, and if you look at the modern world now, microdosing is giant. What are your thoughts on it? Like, fantastic. Yeah? Especially for mental. Like, the, with the Timmy's and everything, they were already giving... They were all treating American soldiers that had mental disorders with LSD, right? And it was working really well, right? Same happening now. Now that they're, they're making real LSD, it's not commercial, you know, they're making the real stuff. Because LSD was made by someone, I guess, somewhere in Switzerland, and he was making some chemical, and he accidentally licked his finger and he went into a trip. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that story. It was accidental. Okay. Right? No, no one ever wanted that. It was completely accidental. Yeah. So that's as, that's as far as I know. You know? And it's just interesting. And then it just went off the rails. And a lot of people weren't mentally prepared. They were, didn't go through the thing where you were told what was going to happen to you. Right? And, and the interesting thing with LSD, you can snap out of it like that. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, Straight back into normal. Just when it wears off, or you can intentionally in, in, make yourself snap out. Yeah, intentionally make in case something's happening, right? Say, say something's happening that you, you need to control straight away. Yeah, you snap out of it straight away. Really? Yeah. What? Because um, it, it's it's just it's interesting. I don't know. That maybe that's because of my dyslexia. I don't know. I don't. I got no idea. Right. It, it, you hear people freaking out, but I just went. Oh, how do you freak out on? Um, or you're not used. To, you're fighting what you're seeing. I don't know. Yeah. Because everything really opens up. Right. You know, you're seeing things. You go, like, and, and you think about the Indians and stuff like that before. They used to take pie out and all sorts of things, right? Right. And you, know, you look at their patterns and everything, and, and what they went. You know, all their fancy work, their patterns. Everything was just, and it was just like, you know, it's out there. But but as we've gone along. As human beings, we've been drugs, alcohol, everything's in our system, right? Yeah. Which stops you from externally seeing things. You're being closed down a lot more. Yeah. Where early days, you, you know, the Aborigines saw it all. Our indigenous people saw everything. And then I just read the other day, they mightn't have been here 60,000 years, they could have been here 160,000 years. Mm. Right? You look at their artwork. Yeah. And there's you know drawings with halos around them and kind of yeah, right. It's it's actually surprising. Um, you can kind of draw a comparison to board building yeah. in that a lot of that stuff was so innovative a very long time ago. Yeah. They were actually making more innovations even with um, engineering and things like yeah. building the pyramids and yeah. all that. Like yeah. the amount of engineering involved. It's actually more advanced than we're at now, oh, but exactly. society is so resistant to change and board building is the same exact way. You came in using vacuum bagging and EPS yeah. and it's still, 
people still view that as a modern technique, or they're yeah. they're just coming to realize that they can implement it now. Yeah, the the biggest thing I I see that restricts board building is price. The the end price is so low yeah. that the manufacturer can't. Two, well, a Vizio sold for over two thousand. Yeah. Right, and they asked me to do a range for them, and I did a range, and we sold most probably three or four thousand in Australia. And that, that after that, I just said that's all you're going to sell. You know, because everyone's got one, and they're the only people. There's only enough people interested in it because there's not. It's hard to get the message out there what they are. Yeah. I show. I, I've got half one there. When people come, I show them. They just put. Okay, unbelievable. Yeah. It's It's just and no waste. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. No waste. Mm -hmm. No resin in the factory because all the carbon's what's called prepeg preg, right? So heat sets it off. So you got surfboards have far too much resin to fiber content. Okay. Right. Because of the way you have to build them. And like in the early days, we used to use do, everything was textured decks. Mm -hmm. right, so you, you t take all the resin out, wax and hang on to it. But what happened was when deck grips come in, deck grips would <laughs> go on the texture deck, so they, they stopped them. We're slowly going back into a lot of stuff with texture decks again. Yeah. Just that reduce them. That's, I say to a lot of people, you look at boards, you know, and you, on the bottom you've got cracks in them. You know, they're cracking. Well, I said, that's just polyester. You, the, the, the bottom of your board's always up to the sun. I said, the polyester on the bottom of your board's drying out due to the sun. And then when it flexes, it's just the resin on the bottom, the excess resin, cracking. It's not the fiberglass, it's the resin. There's too much resin that's cracking. Right, 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 right. Because yeah. it gets brittle. Yeah, it gets brittle. Yeah. Um, where do you see... I, what's interesting to me is, um, even though you've been around longer than anybody, building boards for longer than anybody, yeah. You're always on the cutting edge. You've always seemed to be on the cutting edge yeah. of incorporating new materials in because your boards. That, that's because I'm not making hundred boards a week, right? And I, 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 I just like change. I, I'll, I'll do anything. Like I got a paddleboard out there. Yeah. That we put concave rails on. Yeah. In still water, unbelievable. Really? In the surf, shit else. Really. But it was interesting. You yeah. know, went okay. We've learned something. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of the things, when I do custom orders, I'll be thinking about it the day before and you start mentally visualizing what you've got to do, right? And then I spend as least time in that shaping bay as I possibly can. Okay. Right? I just get in there and rip into it. Yeah. Right? And it's the best way because you've already got it. Everything's in you, and you're letting it out, you know, whoa. Mm -hmm. and then you walk away for a while because you have to change your vision because it's so white, your vision changes. So walk away, go do something else, then walk back in and have a look again when you just change it a little bit, your yeah. light, everything like that. Yeah. Right? It's just. Do you feel like your dyslexia has helped or I hindered have. your shaping career? Helped because you're looking at everything differently. It's, it's that whole vision. I learned that by playing football, and then when I thought about it later what's going on, I realized why I was good because I could see everything that was going on. Do you treat it in any way? No. Yeah. At night time, I have a couple of joints. It slows me down. Does it? Yeah. Well, when I first met Anne, we used to hang out at the Newport Hotel a fair bit and drink, and then one day she said, did you drive us home? And I was going out with another girl. You drive me home and I get changed. I said, yep, yeah. I drove her home. She lived on Bill Gola Plata. Then on the way back, she said, have you, have you heard of marijuana? I said, yeah. You want to smoke? Yep, I have a joint. 
that was it. We were connected from that on. Yeah. And it changed how I, it slows me down, right? So I've been self-medicating for 50 years. Okay. Right, it just slows me down. At nighttime, it relaxes me. You know, I, my wife said, you, you, I get amped up in here because of what you do and then you look at what you've done and you go, that's far out, you know? Yeah. Do you, um, why do you wait till night? First of all, why do you wait till night to do it? And is it only slowing you down or is it opening, you Just know, creating It slows down and it creates different things. And, uh, depends on what, if I have a cookie, I'll do it during the day. Because like an it, edible. Yeah, yeah, because it's different. It's a different, completely it's a more different more psychedelic. Yeah, far different state where smoking joint is more of a whack on the head. Yeah. Right? That's how I look at it. It just, you know, it's nice. It relaxes you really well. So without it, you will just kind of, your wheels will just be spinning all night long. Yeah. You probably won't be able to sleep. I can sleep. I, do, I go through periods where I'll stop for a while. You know, you have to, it's just educating yourself and making sure you got the willpower to do things. Yeah. Right? You have to do all sorts of things to yourself to keep your willpower going. Mm. Right? To make sure you're, you're on the track all the time. Otherwise, you... You could run run wild all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, because I, I do some boards for Tom Carroll as well. Yeah. Right. And after I read the book about his addictions and everything, I rang I rang up Tom and said, Tom, I said I make you some boards that I said everything you're doing is part of your addiction. And I said because all your surfboards are part of an addiction, right? And he realised that you know, that the whole thing and he's pulled back a lot from surfing a little bit and he's got a new partner and I just make him boards that can. I made him a hydro hull, I made him a single fin, he's got a quad, you know, and they're all different to what he's riding. So it, it, he steps away and then gets, it's another song. That's how I look at it. It's just another type of music. Mm -hmm. Listen to this for a while. Yeah. Um, with marijuana being legalized in California. Yeah. We're living in a funny world. Like you look at, you look at Holland, completely legalized everything. No crime. They're closing down jails. <laughs> the yep. best economy in Europe. Yep. Right? Portugal just did it too. Yep. Barcelona's done it. Right? Just they've, they've got a little lot of crimes gone because no, no one can, you know, it's not it's not a criminal offence anymore or, or yeah. whatever, you know. And everything's legal. So it's more business now. Yeah. And the government makes money out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody wins. Yeah. What do you, do you drink alcohol? Yep. You do? Okay. Because my wife does. She, she, because of the tablet she's taking and she gets nerve, anxiety, at night time she'll have a couple of glasses of wine. Yeah. Right? Sometimes the wine, I, I on, the, on Fridays after a week's work, I'll have a couple of beers. Yeah. It's interesting that um, the one thing that is legal, alcohol, is has almost zero medical benefit yeah. and actually has a lot of detrimental yeah. effect. And then, of course, is responsible for a lot of crime yeah. or correlated yeah. with a lot of crime. Whereas these other things that you're like yeah. weed, for example. Yeah. Because I've been I'm drinking, I've just been drinking black beer. I don't like know. there's a Mexican beer that's black that okay. you drink with Mexican food. Fantastic. Okay. And there's a Japanese beer that's black, right? And it has, the guy was telling me, it has different hops in it, it has different herbs, how they're made it, so it's good okay. for your health, right? It's uh, it, okay. Right? It just it depends on how they make it. I drink a beer. Out of Tasmania called Bogues. No preservatives, no nothing. Natural water, fantastic. Because some beers upset my stomach, and yeah. Bogues, fantastic. Yeah. Do you notice? Does the alcohol have any effect on your dyslexia? No. Okay. No. Not, none. 
nothing at all. Yeah. It's just, it's this morning, like, I tell you what does, it does have an effect on the coffee. Really? Coffee speeds up even more. Okay. So do you <laughs> stay away from it? Um, I just have one cup in the morning. Yeah. This morning I got up at five, went for a swim at Burley. Then you come home, have my coffee, breakfast, open the computer and say, who's attacking me, emails or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, I'm curious what your thoughts on Instagram are. Do you enjoy it? Well, when they explained it to me, like the kids at Patagonia explained it, what, it, what you, how you're supposed to handle it. And it, they just said, you've got to look at it as being your shop front, your window dressing. Mm-hmm. That's how you present it. a good way. And tell stories with it. And don't hashtag Right? Then someone else woke up to me the other day and said, "For how many, how many people are following you and how many hits you get on that, you're far in front of anyone else that hashtags. Interesting. But do you enjoy it? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Last week or the week before I was reading and the sun sits in the Sydney Morning Herald on the Saturday paper, they have lots of fold-outs and they were talking, there's a whole bunch of people in Silicon Valley now won't let their children have mobile phones. Yep. And they're saying how dangerous it is. So you should really consider what that means for us. Okay. There, the reality is, like we have um, obviously science that tells us about our physical health. Yeah. You should not eat these things. You should eat these things. Here's how many calories. Here's yeah. how much you should work out. Yeah. We don't have any of that stuff for your mental health. No. You know, for your like your emotional kind of well-being. Yeah. And I think that the science isn't in yet on what social media is doing to our brains. Yeah. And so we're gonna figure out in a couple of years, it turns out that it's not healthy to stare at your phone all day and see what all your friends are doing and how they're doing it better than you and they have a more beautiful lifestyle than yeah. you. But that's only think, they're only thinking that. This is, the, this is the amazing thing where I say, I, lately I've been getting a lot of kids learning how to shake, right? Okay. Come to ask me and I just say, just get, and they go, I can't tell you anything. I said, I can tell you, just go for it. Just imagine everything, go for it. And I said, don't beat yourself up about it, right? Make a board, surf it, it'll go good because you've made it. And, and I believe that hand making stuff, when you may hand make a surfboard, inside that surfboard there's a certain amount of feeling. Because it's just, it's no different to anything, right? It's a material and it, and it wants to be loved as well, right? By using machines, it's not being loved very much. And they're all very flat, and that's what a lot of people say, because I hand paint everything. They say, when you go somewhere and you look at your boards, they jump out at you. Mm. Because they're, they're going, hey, look at me, look at me, I'm looking at that. And you go, I'm really good, you know, where they're all white, I don't know. Yeah. And, it's, and the thing that blew me out most is, it's all fake carbon. It's paper printed to look like carbon. <laughs> I, I, I said to someone, that's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. You know, and if someone in this industry was smart enough, they could have reported all these people and they would have been told to stop it. Because right. it's called passing off. Yeah. You're passing something off for what it isn't. Yeah. Right? And it, it happens in this. It's just like you were saying, this industry, when I first started, everyone was happy. Right? Everyone would scream and yell and wave, go for it, go, and happy, and you're all about that. And as time went by, and, and it started getting worse when leg ropes come in. The greed thing, you know? Before leg ropes, everyone wouldn't drop in on our people, they pulled back a bit more or and cheered. Now it's just my way of their swear of people, everything, right? I, I've had a go at a lot of professional surfers, you know, you see them swearing at some kid for yada yada yada. And I say, hang on here. I said, you're sponsored by Quicksilver. He's got a pair of Quicksilver shorts on. 
he's paying your fucking way, you know, tell him the fuck off. I said, hey, and that's, that's why I think Billabong and Quicksilver are gone, basically, right? Because they, they, they were just too greedy as well. And they over-analyzed how big surfing really is and, and they didn't focus on their core product, board shorts and t-shirts. Right. They went everywhere. Right. Right? They have shoes, they have, they have this, they have that. And they just mass, mass took over every single surf shop. Like when they were really, they were, for people like me, it was hard to sell boards to any surf shop because they were in control of them all. And they don't pay. I've always been, you got to pay within seven days. Yeah. Right? You can't, the size I am, you can't function on 30 days. Right. And I you know, basically pay for everything as I go along. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's just good economics. Yeah. Yeah. Um. How often are you surfing nowadays? I don't surf much at all. No? No. I, well, I've got to ride 10-foot boards because of my shoulders are going at my age. And the, I surfed about six months ago, I had one, and a wave just pulled the board out of my hand and I wrecked my shoulder up in here. So I, I just go swimming, and then I've just, I just shaped a new 10-foot fish up there. Oh, yeah. Right? Which I'll, even if I lay down and get a wave, that's what. That's where I'll go next. Okay, just, good. Just lay down. And, you know, it's still the same. Do you miss it though? Do you miss surfing? No. Why not? Because it's hard to find a wave by yourself. Right. I just don't like what's going on in the water. And then this thing at, at Byron where they they put up signs: you'll get fined if you don't surf if you surf without a leg rope. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the legal companies done it. Crazy. And, and everyone's saying, hey, where are we going to go legally here? And I said to someone, I said, if you go to the hospital and have a look, more injuries are caused from leg ropes, the board's screwing back at them with fins yeah. than anything. I split my ear in half from that. Yeah, and it's not a board being loose and running no. over someone in the surf, it's more in the water. And everyone that's been attacked by sharks wearing a leg rope. Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. At Byron, there's a guy attacked for at least with me. When you talk to fishermen, sharks don't like us because we're warm-blooded. So they'll have a bite, but they won't eat you. Right. But that one bite could. Yeah, yeah. Kill that you. bite could do. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's because underneath the water, the regular looks like a lure, or fish. You know, and they go for the lure. If you look at the Mick Fanning thing, he, the shark did not go for Mick Fanning. He went for the leg rope. Yeah. And he got the leg rope caught in his mouth. Yeah. They pulled it off. Right. Yeah. No one, no one want to talk about that. I've never thought about that. Right? Because I've been on this, like in Byron, there's a, like some old guys, about 20, 30 people, you know, women and men, every day they walk from the surf club to the point and swim back through the ocean. Not one of them has ever been bitten by a shark. And it's been going on for 20 years or more. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, oh, it is. I just, no one wants to know. Cause I don't know. It sounds hokey, you know? I mean, to think that a shark... Um, can discern what a lure is or a fishing line or any of that sounds hokey, but. Yeah, but it just looks like a fish. That fish moves through the water like that, you know, it, just, it breaks okay. water, Okay. right? That's what, it, that's what a leg rate does, breaks water. And they just, you know, like people saying, oh, we paid your board this. I'm going, have you been talking to sharks? Are they colorblind or what or what? How do they look at things, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got no idea, they're a shark. Um. <laughs> I'm curious how often, what surf media do you follow nowadays? Surface Journal. Okay. That's it. You subscribe? Yep. Good for you. Yeah, I've, I've, I've subscribed then went off for a while because I was going, 
sort of went flat for a little while, and then all of a sudden now it's back interesting again. Okay. And it's it's really good. Australian media, like, you know, we've got Australian surfing magazines, and they go, you want to advertise? I, I say to them, I say, listen here. I said, without surfboard building, there is no surf. I said, yet, yet you want to make every surfboard builder pay to advertise in your magazine, and you don't do anything for anyone that, that's doing it. I said, it's ridiculous. I said, without us, there's no industry. Just remember that, then you don't have a magazine. What board builders do you look at? What upcoming board builders do you look at with interest? Is there uh, anybody? Not, not really. I, I have, because Instagram, the other thing that was interesting about Instagram, you're in touch with a lot of people yeah. that you know, and, and it's more private than Facebooks or anything, right? Mm-hmm. I, Mitchell Ray is one of my fans, Outer Island. Then I look at Michael Mackey from South Coast, Jed Doan. There's a, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of range, you just look at it, and then, because they're all doing it from the heart. You know, there's a lot of people doing it from the pocket, not many people do it from the heart, yeah. and, and not aware of how many surfboards they make. You know, where I read that a book that came out of California about the surfboard industry done by two professors, one from Santa Barbara University, one from Los Angeles, right? They talked about how toxic the industry was. And, and you go, all right, we're pretty toxic. <laughs> I, for what we put out, you know, not, not you know, for, we don't do it, there's not a lot, but for what we put out, there's a lot of, it's so toxic. Like these guys with the shaping machines, they're shaping blanks to the bigger, I, I get blanks to the close. I look at the birth of blanks and go, I can do this blank for this board so I don't yeah. have to cut too much off it. Of course. Right? And, and where they use blanks that are way oversized because most of the kids using machines aren't machinists. Right. They're just someone that's being employed. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of waste in that. There's a lot of foam. And, and then you end up with the softest part of the blank anyways. Yeah, so in, in the marshmallows. Yeah. yeah. And they're all using lightweight blanks. I use just a standard blank. Right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's sustainable. Like, I've got four boards here, up there, built in 1969. Oh, really? Yeah, because I did a thing with the Sustainable Surfboard Project three years ago at Byron. And I, I just said to the guy, I said, you know, we can get all these new materials, but if they're going to break down in six months, that's not sustainable. No. You still exactly. have to recycle everything. I said, sustainable surfboards are boards that are being glassed properly and last. Totally, right? totally. And they're like, so they're 50 years old. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's interesting. And they've started that, I, I shouldn't say too much, but to get the logo to say your board's sustainable, mm-hmm. you have to buy stuff that they, off them, to get the logo. I'm going, hang on here. This is, this is pretty. <laughs> um, Everyone's got a hand in the pocket. In regard to following your friends on Instagram, I mean, it's such, comparing that to what you were saying was taking place in the 50s and the 60s, yeah. where you only had Surfer Magazine to look at, yeah. and then hopefully once a year, somebody would come from Hawaii and bring a board for you to see what Brewer was doing yeah. or somebody yeah. else. Um, it was such a slow pro- trans- transfer of information back yeah. then. Now it's pretty amazing just to be able to see what they're doing immediately today in yeah. their shaping bay. But, but it, you're still, it's still not physical. I, I, I'm into right. seeing things physically, yeah. right? Because it's just on the screen. I, you know, you have to. I, I'm just into seeing things physically, yeah. and then you can feel them and touch them. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Because it's really important that you touch things. Yeah. Like there's a little board here. 
I was going to pick that up after it's we were phenomenal. Done. Is it? Yeah. It, it looks it's a glass, it's a glasses board, right? I made it for him. He just said, guys, I believe. And everyone's had it. Everyone surfed it, had it. Sometimes someone will have it for six months and won't give it back because it goes so good. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. just something like that. Tony Eldrington, Doris, was here last week. We were talking about it. I, I helped him in his career going early days, helped him, helped him how to shape, everything like that. And we are talking about this board I made way back. It was concave deck, everything, fish. And everyone everyone surfed it. He won three or four titles on it. Wow. Right? Wow. Guy Omarone won things on it, Joe Eagle won things yeah. on it. Just, he said, it was just one of those specials. He said, he said I remember it so clearly, he said. Hmm. Uh, it's just, it's interesting. Um, I'm aware of our time we've got about five minutes so the last um, question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode for you it's probably been a little bit a little while last one 10 foot it's the 10 foot that threw your arm out yeah you know what's funny I was talking to do you know Steve Coletta out of Santa Cruz he's a board builder yeah older guy and he was explaining, you see a lot of older guys getting on larger boards. Yeah. He said, no, no, no. As I've gotten older, I ride shorter boards yeah. for the exact reason you said. Yeah. yeah, it's harder. It's less stable, but it's a lot less work to yeah. duck dive, to kind of swing the board around when you're going to paddle back out. Yeah. To swing a large board takes a tremendous amount of strength and you'll injure yourself. Yeah. So he's riding six foot short yeah. boards. Yeah. It's just the, it's the paddling with your shoulders, you know. And, and I go to a physio in Byron who was a surfboard shaper, and he says, it's just the position we laid in, right? And it's just interesting. It's, it's just interesting. I, I, I've got a nine foot as well that goes really good. But yeah, it, someone else has got it and loves it. And I haven't seen him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he loves it that much. Yeah. And it, it's the same. It's carbon and EPS. Yeah. I just, it, Carbon is such a good material, and a lot we, we haven't we're not seeing it in this industry very much. Because I learned, if you're using carbon, it's got to be enveloped. You can't just use strips. Yeah. It's got to be enveloped. You look at carbon bikes; they're complete carbon. Yep. It's all pre-pregged. And because when I got burnt to the ground and started shaping again, a friend of Mix was a surf. He's a surfer, but he made surfboats. Right? He said, "I'll share a factory with you for a while." and old glass surfboards and he used to take me all these seminars about carbons everything like composites the whole thing yeah really interesting yeah but again it's it's a price thing it's oh, yeah. price prohibitive for the yeah. consumer yeah. to wrap their brain around yeah. well thank you yeah. for your time no worries Thank you, Dick Van Stralen, for a very entertaining afternoon. And another thanks, by the way, to Jake Holloway from Shapers in Australia for facilitating this one and hosting me on the Gold Coast. Everything that Dick and I discussed is available on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then again, if you haven't ordered your Slow Tide towels after hearing this on the previous two podcasts that I mentioned it on, you're only hurting yourself. 
slowtide.co. Use promo code podcast. Start with an oversized beach towel. You will absolutely love it. Or maybe you need a changing poncho. I'm going to be upgrading my bath towels next. Everything is plush, gorgeous. They're responsibly made towels. The kind that I actually look forward to stuffing my face into when I get out of the water. Anyway, it's the simple things that I appreciate. Slowtide.co. Use our promo code podcast to support this show. And then that also gives you 10% off. So thank you for doing that. And then again, if you're a surfboard shaper, make sure to check out those tools that Dane from Vulcan made. I've posted them on surfsplendorpodcast.com as well. I'll be back next week, but in the meantime, you should really check out this week's episode of The Grit, where Chaz and I interview former president of the Oprah Winfrey Network, and he is our current WSL president of content, Eric Logan. Super fun conversation. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on. Mm -hmm.